Wow. After that big, after that big song and then that monstrous series bumper, right? Like sitting here and thinking about, I, I don't know if you've been, you've been here for all the weeks of our kingdom series, but um, when we started this, when I started working on it in uh, December and just had no idea what God was going to do in my own heart. And I hope that he's doing that in your heart too, as we talk about the kingdom. And today, um, we're talking about a part of this kingdom when, when Jesus says, seek the kingdom. Sometimes this is what we, we think about when we think about like kingdom of heaven type of stuff. And the subject that we're talking about today isn't just like for those who are in religious circles. It has defined religious circles as well as shaped whole cultures since the beginning of time. And, and in fact, when I, was, when I was preparing for this, I looked, just looked at like the kind of the U.S. history with this subject of the end of the world. And you know, like since 1950, the number of movies that are made about this has doubled every 10 years. Like it's, it, you, you go look at the list, you're like, holy smokes, like it just keeps like growing like all these different ways. I mean, some of you probably totally dig some of those apocalyptic genres. Like how many zombie fans? Anybody else? Oh, come on. I know you're in church. Just admit it. You like the zombie apocalypse thing, right? Like, so, so I know you're like, I better not raise my hand. People might judge me for liking zombie things. But we, we know it's not real, right? We know what the real story is. But we people love this end of the world thing. Like all the ideas about apocalyptic things and what's coming and let me ask you what's the fixation why why are we so fixated on this whole idea of the end what it holds when you get underneath all of the like that was really cool oh man to kind of think about all that stuff when you get underneath all of that some of it's fear isn't it I mean, we live in a real world that has real problems. You know, some of the stuff that the movies are about are things that we are actually grappling about when it comes to where we're at as a species, as humanity. And every one of us, every single one of us, whether you see the end of the world in your lifetime or not, has to grapple with the subject of the end, don't you? Every person in this room, and I don't want you to be surprised by this. This might be surprising for you this morning. You're not immortal. Someday I will have my end. Someday you will have yours. Every single one of us in this room. And maybe you don't fear the apocalypse, but you have asked, like, really serious questions. Just like I have. Serious questions about, like, okay... Like, what happens that moment right after I die? How do I get prepared for that season? I I watched my father have a long decline. How do you prepare for what's coming? How do you get yourself prepared for that? Like, like, have you thought about, like, at your funeral? I I, I was watching someone have some fun with this on Facebook about like they're going to attend their own funeral service because I want to actually hear what people say about me right like like what like have you thought about that I remember sitting down with a young guy like like 20 years old who was struggling like 
there was this like lack of joy in his life. And you know what he told me? And he had, he had suffered loss. Loss was real to him. He had, had seen some real losses in his life. That's what he told me. He said, I have such a hard time looking at life because I, underneath all of that is this one question I keep asking, which is, like, will I ever even have accomplished anything meaningful before I meet my end? Will my life have meant nothing? These are serious questions about preparing for the end. And as a pastor, I get to do lots of funerals. Um, not as many as Pastor Ron, who you know is like so awesome on our staff. It's such a gift for him. But I've done my share in, in every one of them. Do you know what I've seen? And there's actually some good news here. The reality of your mortality gives you perspective for living. And when you walk out of that season, when you lost someone you know, or you've went to someone's funeral and you walk out of Everything in our society will say, just move on quickly. Think about something else. But if you're willing to stay there, because here's the corollary to that truth that is just as real for that young man in his 20s that will be for you. If you do not know with confidence that you are prepared, if there's not something stirring deep within you, that you know what you know about the end and those questions have been answered for you, if you're not somewhere in that zone, The corollary to, like, it gives you perspective is this. If you don't have those answers, underneath there will be fear. Underneath there will be disturbance. Something that is going to rob your joy and your purpose and the way you live your life. And the good news is that Jesus came to speak about that. Jesus actually talked about this. In fact, the reason he brought it up with his disciples, he kind of did like the Jesus thing, kind of slipped it in there, kind of got their interest peaked, and then they were starting to ask questions about it. This is what Jesus does. And, and, and we're going to look at that today, and if you, wanna, if you want it, you can look at your scoop. If you want to turn in your Bible, your Bible app, we're going to spend our time in Matthew 24 and 25. And, and in this one story that we're going to spend most of our time in in Matthew 25, it's an answer to something that stirred up in the disciples because... Jesus was walking with them, and they were in Jerusalem, and they were walking past the temple, and the temple in Jewish history was this place that represented everything of, like, God's presence. We have confidence that God is present, that God cares about us, that we matter to him. They're walking by, and it is beautiful, and it is ornate, and it is like, man, they see it as, like, eternal. And Jesus says, that won't last In fact, within your lifetime, you will see its demise. goes on to actually predict this, and it's actually like other things that Jesus says, right? It comes true. 70 AD, Rome comes in and destroys it. Now, this would be apocalyptically similar to like you're taking a tour of Washington, D.C., and someone looks at you and says, in your lifetime, you're going to see this whole thing topple. It's all going to come apart. You have a little bit of apocalyptic shivers there, right? Like you would be like, oh, wait, what? And so they start thinking about the end, and they're, they're stirring that up. And this is the question. So they, they walk out of Jerusalem. 
up this long road up the Mount of Olives. You know, you know how those, like, if you want to go up, you can go up the mountain two ways, right? You can go up, like, the, the, the straight way. Like, when I go hike Pole Steeple, if you've ever hiked that, like, there's this one trail that's, like, you can go straight up or you can go like this, right? Like the old person trail. Like, that's, that's the one I take. So, like, that's this Mount of Olives, like, back and forth. It's a long, <laughs> fact, it looks like somebody's accusing you of something over there. I don't... I'm right here with you. I'm on the same trail. So the, the back and forth all the way to the top. They get over, and now you're overlooking the city of Jerusalem. You picture it like the wall and the temple. And there they are, and they ask Jesus this question. This is, this is where we get started today in Matthew 24, 3, because this sets the context for the story we're about to. You can't understand the story we're going to talk about without understanding a few of these comments and the question that gets asked that then gets answered. And Matthew actually records two chapters of this answer because it's so important. Matthew 24, 3. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately, right? Jesus, I know you're not going to tell everybody else this, but how about you let us in on the little secret? Tell us, when will it happen? What's the signal of your return of the end of the world? And ever since this question, theologians have been trying their best to answer it, right? I mean, you, you know, like people are trying to set dates all the time. They're trying to tell you how everything is lining up and they've got it all answered. And it's kind of funny to me because if you read enough of apocalyptic scripture in the Bible, you find out very quickly that it's unclear for a reason because it becomes clear when you look back over your shoulder. But Jesus decides to answer this question in one way. And it's interesting because what Jesus actually says is, listen, guys, I don't even know the date. Like only the father knows the actual date of the return, which gives you a little perspective when people like tell you the date. Like can you imagine Jesus in heaven going like, hey, can I see your math on that? I'd like to just, I'd like to kind of find that out. And so Jesus says, listen, I want to answer your question. And he gives a lot of context to it. He gives them some apocalypse. He, he actually tells them a little bit more about what's going to happen. A lot of what happens in Matthew 24, in the beginning of it, it's already happened. It happened for the disciples in Roman Empire time. But he gives this one phrase in there. It's so important because it gives us context for every story he's about to tell. All the answers he's about to give, the entire Matthew 25, which is filled with three stories, is all about what he says right here. Matthew 24, verse 14. And the good news, and this is what Jesus says, if you want to know how the world's going to end, if you want the one sign that you will know, here it is. And the good news about the kingdom will be preached through the whole world. So that all nations, and that actually means all people groups, all language groups will hear it. And then, and then the end will come. And then the kingdom will come in all of its fruition. Wow. Everything that follows this is in this context, this continuation of Jesus' answer about preparation. About the good news that will be preached. The good news. What is that good news, the good news of the kingdom? The good news of the kingdom that's about to get answered, this is what we're going to talk about today, is this, the end. It's not the end. The end can just be the beginning. 
There doesn't have to be an end. You don't have to live your life like there is an ending that just ends. This can actually be about a new beginning. That's what the kingdom is about. The kingdom has come and is coming. Remember, we talked about that very beginning of the series. It's coming. It has come and is coming. We'll talk about that a little bit today in this parable. But this is, this is the gospel, the good news, the great news. I want you to feel the weight of this. Sometimes we're so churchified. Like that word, churchified? You're so churchified. You've been around this idea of good news enough. Sometimes you don't feel the weight, the importance of it. That the, what this good news really means for you. Now, can you imagine today if Gus, the PA's second favorite groundhog, joined me on stage today and said, I have good news. Somebody here today won the lottery. A million dollars. And we, we've got it in cash, tax-free for you today. Right? How about that, huh? Now, now, you're sitting in your seat today, and some of you are like, I hope that's me. Right? Like, I hope that's me. I want that. Oh, that is good news. I, I don't have to worry about my kid's college fund anymore. Right? Like, I don't have to show up at that job that I dread showing up at. I, or, I, or I'm going to show up there and be any way I want tomorrow. Right? Fire me. I don't care. I've got a million dollars cash in my back pocket. So uh, some of you are like, wow, that would be good news. But he, so here's the thing. And this is, this is what Jesus is kind of getting at here. In his death and resurrection, what he offers you is that you've won the spiritual lottery. Do you understand that? You've won the spiritual lottery. Like, Death, like the, the very worst thing that could ever happen to you, the worst thing that could ever happen to you in your life, the thing that is most unknown, that you know least about, that you feel most unprepared for, is off the table. It's not the end. That is good news. You don't have to be afraid of it anymore. Death has lost all of its power over you. That moment that you're like, I don't know like how kind of life I live, like that's off the table. The good news is that you're free to live a whole different kind of life. And this is the good news that we get invited to. The good news. In Matthew 24 and 25, all about saying, this is how you prepare for that, for the beginning. For the new beginning. This is how you live your life differently. So with that, let's roll forward to Matthew 25 to this one story. This is one story, a set of three, that talks about the kingdom and the kingdom of heaven. And here, here it is, Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. That's where we're going to be at. Let's start here. Then the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, we will be like ten's bridesmaids. Do you love when Jesus does this kind of stuff? The kingdom of heaven is like ten's bridesmaids? Jesus, what? Like, what are you talking about? It's like ten's bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. And the five that were foolish didn't take enough oil for their lamps. They weren't prepared. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil because they didn't know how long it was going to take. And then the bridegroom, when the bridegroom was delayed, took a long time for the bridegroom to get back. 
to come, they fell asleep. The kingdom of God is like ten bridesmaids. What is Jesus talking about here? So let me, let me refresh your ears into first century ears, okay? You think of a wedding as a one-time event, but if you were Jewish, you were the disciples and you're hearing this, that's not how you think of a wedding. You think of a wedding as a two-pronged event. So the first one was a betrothal service. Kind of like an engagement, except it was the real deal and you were licensed. So you get your betrothal service, and you are now legally married, and you have to divorce. Remember Joseph and Mary, and Joseph said, Joseph had his mind to put her out to divorce her, and they weren't actually cohabitating yet. You don't live together yet. You don't consummate your marriage yet. You are still, you are now legally bound together, but the husband's, the bridegroom's role is to go get a place ready for you to live. That's his one single focus in that season. And the bride's focus is to prepare for the celebration of the second service when everything's going to, like, you're prepared, we're ready, we're ready to celebrate. So when the bridegroom has that place done and the dream home is ready, there is a huge celebration and it is huge. And this is what Jesus is saying. This is the kingdom of heaven. It's actually, you understand this is the implication. You're living in this season. Jesus says, the bridegroom has come. And you're now living in this season of, I'm making a commitment. I'm, I'm asking for a commitment to me. And now you're living in the season between the betrothal and the final ceremony and celebration. And his job is to get everything ready for us. And our job is to get prepared for the final celebration. This is, this is what the picture that Jesus is painting, the story of kingdom Heaven is just like this. And then it says, verse 6, that at midnight, at midnight, come on, bridegroom. Like, how much good-looking stuff do you have to get on, right? Like, like at midnight, not at like 6 p.m. or 7 p.m. or 8 p.m. And at midnight, when everybody was least expecting it, when it was dark, when everybody was like, maybe this thing isn't going to happen, at midnight. They were aroused by a shout. Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet him. And now, when you go to a Jewish wedding ceremony, when you're waiting in that waiting period, you know it's coming, but you don't know exactly when. You're preparing. You're the bridal party. You're the bridesmaids. You're prepared for the celebration. You're leading the way into it. And so you've got to be prepared. Because the way that at night... You know the difference between the wedding crashers and the wedding party is who's carrying the lamps, who's prepared, whose fire's burning, and whose isn't, because they didn't know it was coming. And, and if you're living in the first century, it's not easy just to buy something at midnight. I mean, it's kind of like that moment that the snowstorm came and you didn't have your bread and milk, right? You can't make French toast. And you're like, oh, right? So, like, you got to be prepared for that moment. And so there's, here's these two groups, wise and foolish. The foolish bridesmaids, for some reason, we're kind of living like the end is way off. I'm just going to enjoy the pre-party and not really think about the real party, the, the celebration that's going to be so special, so important, so much bigger, so much greater than anything on this planet. Like, like they're just... They're not really thinking about that. They're just kind of living their life. 
They're just kind of like, well, let's just enjoy this time. It's going to live for today. And the whole point, remember, the whole point of this, Matthew 25, you see where Jesus is getting at. I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want you to live like this is all there is. Because this isn't all there is. There's so much more. So much more. Be ready for the So see what's coming. You know, as a pastor, I get to walk with people as the reality of their mortality becomes real for them. Some people are really prepared, and even the prepared people say things like, I didn't realize how quickly life would go. But I also have walked with people who aren't prepared, and they say things like, I just, I thought I had more time, or I just, I didn't want to think about it till now. Like, I, I just, I avoided this thinking. I was afraid of what was going to happen in the end, so I just, I don't even know that I want to talk about it right now because I have so much fear about what could be. I just feel so unprepared, and I don't even know that I can be prepared at this point. I think there's so much in our culture, and our society, that says avoid thinking about this question. Probably even now you're like, dude, can you get off this morbid subject? We talk about something happier, something better. But what I want you to understand is this is what Jesus is saying. Is this is not a morbid subject. This is a real subject about a reality that is worth preparing for because nobody gets out of death. Nobody gets out of the end. It's unavoidable. And there's a second group of bridesmaids too, right? Second group of bridesmaids, they're, they're wise. They're like, they're thrilled that the bridegroom is coming. They're so excited about this. Like, we can't wait for him to get here. We got extra oil. We're like super prepared because we don't want to miss the celebration. We're ready. And even if it takes a long time to get here, even if we fall asleep in the waiting we're ready. We're prepared. So Jesus continues the story as he sets all this up. Verse 7, all the bridesmaids got up. Remember, the bridegroom came with a shout. He's here. They wake up. You know what that moment's like when you first wake up and you're like trying to get your thoughts together. And some of you are like, I can't even do that to have a cup of coffee. Right? Like this is their moment. They're awoke into the shout. And so they get up and they're kind of rushing to get their their lamps ready to get them lit, to show the way, to lead the way for the bridegroom, so the bridegroom knows you're part of the wedding party. And, and the foolish ones realize they're out of oil. What makes their lamp burn? There's nothing going on there to burn brightly. They didn't pay attention to the inside of the lamp, what's going on there. And so it says, give us some of your oil, the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go and shop yourselves. Wise maids kind of wake them up to this reality, right? You're responsible for your own lamp. I'm not responsible for your lamp. The person sitting beside you is not responsible for your lamp. You're responsible for your lamp. You're responsible for what that looks like whether it's lit, whether you filled it with oil. This is a bit like, I think, retirement, right? Like, we all, we all save, like, you're thinking about retirement. 
You know, you like, you're like, hey, can I go? When, I, when I go meet with my financial advisor, I ask the same question every time. You think I can retire before I die, right? Like, how, what's the age we're at here to see? I'm just trying to measure, like, you know. And so, so I'm working the, the age down a little bit. And there's kind of two camps here, right? Those of you who are like, I'm preparing for it. I took the good advice when I was 22. I started putting stuff away. And some of you are not like, maybe you didn't start when you were 22, but you started at some point. You're checking your 401k, and you're like, how's it doing? It makes you a little nervous. Am I really ready? Am I not ready? But you're thinking about it. You're preparing for it. And then there's this kind of this other camp, right? You're like, I just don't want to think about it. Maybe you've even gotten there like, darn it, like, I'm not prepared for it. Like, I thought I'd just always be this super healthy person that would never have to, like, deal with anything. And now you're like, what am I, like, like, so you're just like, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to prepare for it. I just, I'm just going to work till I die. You know, that's when I'm retiring. And there's nothing wrong. I mean, retirement's not like a Bible Jesus thing, right? Like, people in the Bible didn't retire. It's called heaven, right? That's what we're talking about this morning. But, but in that camp, and here's the thing, when I, Pastor Rick and I are sitting down, we're just, we just decided to look up some stats on this. You know, you think about, because there's all this pressure to, like, get ready for retirement. So we looked up stats on it. The retirement age is now pushing to 70 for many people. Do you know what the average age of an American male lives to? 75. You save your whole life for five years. How about that? Good news, guys. <laughs> so let me ask you a serious question. If you've been focusing on that, spending energy thinking about that for five years, I want you to ask you this question. How much energy have you been spending focusing on what is for eternity? The kingdom of heaven, being prepared for what's coming, that will last forever, that this life is just like a, such a small blip on the radar compared to what's coming, because this is what Jesus invited us into. This is what he's talking about in all this preparation. And he gets to verse 10 and he says, listen, while they were gone to buy oil, the, the foolish ones had to go out. They had to try to find it. It was hard to find it. They, they scrambled. They were scrambling to find it. But while they were doing that, those who were ready, those who were prepared, went with the bridegroom into the marriage feast, into the celebration. And the door was locked. door was locked. Wait, Jesus, wait, 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 wait. You just, you just welcome everybody? The door was locked. And later the five bridesmaids returned and they stood outside. You feeling the weight of what? I, this is my, my story. This is Jesus' story. They're, they're, they're waiting outside and they're calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back. Believe me, I don't know you. And so he says to his disciples, so you too must keep watch. You don't know when I'm returning. You might fall asleep, but be prepared. Be prepared. 
we read this story. I read this story, and I'm like, Jesus, this is not, this, this is not a good story, Jesus. Like, this is, this is not the one you tell your kids at night before they go to sleep. This is, this is not the way it's supposed to end. You know, what about this moment where you're like, bridegroom says, I'll just let it slide. Come on in. What about, like, doesn't just everybody get in? Can we just let everybody in? I mean, doesn't everybody just get a trophy? I feel the weight of it. There is an end. That's sobering. And I, you can feel it in the room right now. The sobering moment. But I don't want you to miss this. The good news. The end doesn't have to be the end. The end is just the beginning. And that is what Jesus has invited us to prepare for and to be ready for. That you don't need to be surprised. You don't need to get there and the door's locked. You can get there and the, and the, and the bridegroom says, I know you, come in. I've been waiting for you. I'm so excited that you're here. This, this parable is a stark warning. It is about our need for preparation. About our need for readiness. But what happens when we're not prepared? And listen, there is a lot in your life that you can just wing it. Now, you don't have to really get that prepared for it. But this is what Jesus is saying. This is not one of them. You can't wing this. You need to be prepared for it. The question that Jesus kind of lays out for us is this. Will the end be an eternal separation from God? Or will it be just the beginning of a consummation of the love relationship that God has always wanted to build with you? So beautiful, so amazing, so changing. And most of us get to this question, and we should. How do I get prepared? Let's see, here's the good news. What did the bridegroom ask in the end? His question is all about relationship. It's simply this. Do you have a relationship with me? Do I know you and do you know me? I'm not talking about knowing about him. I'm talking about knowing him. I'm talking about building a real relationship with the creator of the universe, with Jesus who came. Like that is what we're offered. And this is incredibly good news because some of you, like you think maybe that you're going to get to that moment and you've always kind of envisioned that there's this scale of like good and bad and you're just hoping the good outweighs the bad. And this is the good news has nothing to do with that has nothing to do with that. I guarantee you if you build a relationship with Jesus, there's going to be more good than bad. That's just going to happen. But it's not about that. That's not your entrance fee. It, it's about faith. It's about trust. It's about relationship. It's about this question, do you know Jesus and does he know you? And this is all he wants. Do you know how much you matter to God? Do you know how much you matter to God? That he would lay down his life. That he would take upon him all your mistakes, all your sin, everything, your shame, everything on him and say, I'll bear the weight of all of it because that's how much I want you at that celebration. And what I offer you is a relationship. But you got to be prepared. What is the kingdom of heaven like? It is like a bridal party who's anticipating that moment. Now, can I tell you something that happened for me in this 
moment of reading through the scripture and studying it, and it stopped me in my tracks. Because I identified with those wise bridesmaids. I'm like, God, I've been preparing. i got a lot of mistakes. i got a lot of past. I'm still not perfect. But Jesus, I'm looking forward to meeting you. I, I want to know you. I've been building relationship with you. But then I sat there in that moment, and I wondered if I was one of the wise bridesmaids sitting in the tent with the five foolish bridesmaids who weren't really prepared. Would I have said something had I known? I went, God, if there's someone in my life, if there's someone in my circle who doesn't know about the celebration, I want them to be prepared. I want to do everything that I can because you've got, God's got to do most of the work, right? We don't come to God unless he comes to us and he's been pursuing you. But God, I want to be that person who says, I've done everything I can. I looked around and I said, who's in crisis? Who's hungry? God, if you put them in my life, I, wanna, I just want to cooperate with you. Because for each of us, it doesn't matter whether it's, we don't know if it's going to be tomorrow or 50 years from now. That moment's coming. And we just don't know when. And the question comes down to, have we put our faith in Christ? Because here's the truth of it. Remember Matthew 24, 13, the very beginning of this thing, and this is what I want you to understand this morning about this whole message. Everyone you lock eyes with matters to God. And Christ came to make it possible for them to be adopted into his family as loved sons and loved daughters. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for your coworkers. That's what he wants for your friends. That's what he wants for every single person in this auditorium today. You know, our staff have experienced um, a couple of losses recently. And I sat down with one of our staff members, um, just caught them in um, a cracked pot. And I just asked them how they were and what that experience was like for them. And she said, you know, my, we couldn't, couldn't talk to my mom a lot about this while she was alive. She kind of resisted spiritual conversations. She said in this moments before she passed, these days before she passed, she looked at us, and she said, I want a relationship with Jesus like you have with your, and your husband have with Jesus. I'm not prepared. But I know, I know, I can see by the way you live your life that you are, and I want that for me. I, I don't know what that moment's like for you. I've seen people who are prepared and unprepared. Jesus wants you prepared. It is the great invitation for you today. So this morning, are you prepared? I mean, you're preparing for other things in your life, right? You get prepared for a wedding, for a baby coming, for a job, but are you prepared for this? This might be the biggest thing that you need to be prepared for. So this is the good news. And I would like you, this is my hope for everyone here this morning. I would like you to be able to be prepared in such a way that you're like the son or daughter who's waiting at home when they're like two or three for mom or dad to get home. 
who's been away for a long time and they can't wait for them to get home and they're like looking out the window and they're like preparing and when they show up, they run and they embrace them and they say, this is what I want, I've been waiting for you. I want everybody in this room to know that and to embrace it today. So will you pray with me this morning? We bow your heads for a moment? So I want to invite you into a spirit of prayer. And in this moment of prayer, between you and God, I have a question that I want you to, I want you to answer this this morning. I want you to be honest. There's no reason not to be honest this morning because it's just you. You're the only one who knows right now. Like You're the only one who can answer. How prepared are you for the end? How confident are you in your preparation for the end? If Jesus came, if you met him tomorrow, how confident are you in the relationship that you have with Jesus? Just be honest with yourself right now. Don't avoid it. This moment in the spirit of prayer, I want you to feel that for a second because Jesus wants a real relationship with you and I want to give you a moment to respond right now. I'm going to pray. Before I pray, I just with your heads bowed and your eyes closed and you're asking this question, I'm going to ask you to align something on the outside with something that's happening on the inside, whether this is the first time or you know that you're sitting here this morning and you're like, I need to rebuild that and get confidence with it. I want to be able to pray for you this morning, so I'm just going to ask you to do something brave and courageous, something uncomfortable. With your head bowed, everybody's eyes closed, just to raise your hand right now and say, I need more confidence in my relationship with Jesus. If you're sitting there this morning and you need that, just raise your hand for a second. I just, I want that to be a joining together today. I want to pray for you. Just keep your hand there for a second. I just, with your hand up, I'm just going to pray this prayer. And I, will you join me in it? Will you, will you let your heart be moved in it? Here it is. Right where you are this morning. Lord Jesus, I want to be prepared. Jesus, I want a relationship with you. You forgive my past. You give me a fresh start with God. I can't do that without you. So this morning, Jesus, come into my life and help me live a new life with you your hand down in Jesus name amen so this morning if you prayed that prayer you need some more confidence in that you can join our prayer partners in the back they would love to pray with you they'd love to help you shore up that confidence this morning you can mark it on your response card this morning we'd love to follow up with you we'd love to pray for you I'm going to ask I'm going to ask the second group of people here this morning to do something for me if this morning you have confidence, but as I talked about what happened in me as I read that parable, and you identified with that, and you said, yeah, I don't want anybody to miss that either. And God, maybe, maybe God put a name on your heart. Maybe God just put that on your heart this morning. God, I, I want to be attentive to how you're moving. We just grab this invitation for a second. Put it in your hand. I'm just going to ask you to hold it up like this. It's a show of unity of like, I'm in, Sean. I'm looking for people in my life. Maybe it's an invite to Easter. Maybe it's a celebration of life. Maybe I'm just going to ask them, how can I pray for you? 
This morning your heart's moved like that. You just say, I'm in. I want that too. I'm going to help someone else. God puts in my heart. Man, something to celebrate this morning. Be that person. There's no greater gift than to help someone be changed by Jesus. This morning, can we enter in now to a spirit of worship? Spirit of response this morning. Let Jesus work in you, but let us, let us proclaim in our response this morning, Jesus, this is all about you. It's all about you this morning. I need you. I need a relationship with you. Let that be the proclamation of your heart and your soul.